Shalom, and welcome to the Israel Policy Pod. I'm Neri Zilber, a journalist based in Tel Aviv and a policy advisor to Israel Policy Forum. In today's episode, we'll be discussing the Israeli tech sector, and specifically the Israeli tech sector's ongoing revolt against the Netanyahu government's judicial overhaul plans with a terrific guest, Amir Mizrach. Amir is a former journalist at the Jerusalem Post, a former tech editor at the Wall Street Journal, the former director of communications at Startup Nation Central, and currently a communications consultant to tech companies in Israel and abroad. With a fantastic conversation with Amir, really important, especially in the current climate. But first, a few thoughts from me. So we're taping this Monday morning ahead of another fateful week in Israeli politics. We had massive demonstrations again on Saturday night for the ninth straight week, with a quarter of a million Israelis taking to the streets in dozens of towns and cities all across the country. And the protest movement has also called for another weekday of strikes and demonstrations this Thursday, dubbed a National Day of Resistance. The protest is growing, it's growing, and it's not going anywhere. Israelis are justifiably angry, historically angry, some might say existentially angry. Just in the past few days, we've had growing numbers of Israeli military reservists, fighter pilots, special forces, intelligence officers, and more, either refuse to report for duty or threaten to refuse to report for duty if the judicial overhaul is passed into law. Which leads to the all-important question, maybe the overriding question these days, what's going to happen? How does this all end? I get asked this question a lot, and I've uh, personally thought about it a lot, believe me, and best I can tell, there are only three realistic scenarios at the moment. Scenario number one, BB caves. BB caves. The prime minister realizes, belatedly, but he realizes, that this entire gambit is causing massive economic, military, and social damage to his nation, and that ultimately, even if he pushes the relevant legislation through the Knesset, It'll never be accepted by the majority of the public, his public. In this scenario, Bibi calls back his hounds of war, Justice Minister Elie Levine, Knesset Committee Head Simcha Rotman, etc., and enters into a real good-faith negotiation over a compromised judicial reform agenda. To be fair, we haven't seen any real indication that Bibi is willing to compromise. Far from it, as we saw with his comments last week comparing pro-democracy protesters to Jewish settler terrorists. We also have to ask whether Netanyahu even has the political space to back down, given the high, high tree he and his coalition have climbed up on, on this one particular issue. Which brings us to scenario number two, moderates within the Likud party cave and force at least a halt to the legislative push. Some quote-unquote moderates in Likud, like former Knesset Speaker Yuli Edelstein and former UN Ambassador Dani Danone, have publicly called for dialogue, although it's still unclear whether it'll actually break with the coalition if push comes to shove and a Knesset vote is actually held. We're also still waiting on others, like Defense Minister Yoav Gallant, former Shin Bet Chief Avi Dichter, and a few others to find the courage of their convictions. I personally wouldn't hold out hope that they put the national interest and literally the future of their country over their own personal political fortunes. But we may be surprised. And finally, scenario number three, the government pushes ahead, pushes ahead despite all the warnings, despite the economic and military and social harm to the country that's already happening, and really despite objective reality. The government has indicated they want to pass this first stage of their quote-unquote judicial reforms by the end of this current Knesset session, 
i.e. right before the Passover break. So we'll basically know in just a handful of weeks, by the end of this month, whether Israel is headed to, first, a constitutional crisis, and then institutional chaos, with the Supreme Court saying one thing and the government saying another, and then finally, growing protests and likely, sadly, violence on the streets. And then after that, well, nobody knows. Again, these are the three scenarios I think are the most likely. It's important to lay them out clearly and clear-eyedly, if that's a word. And all that's left to do is hope that it's scenario numbers one or two, and definitely not three. Let's get to Amir Misoch. Hi, Amir. Welcome to the Israel Policy Pod. Thanks for having me, Neri. Uh, it's our pleasure, Amir. Uh, so, again, for our listeners' benefit, we're recording this on Monday morning, uh, Purim Eve. So, Chag Sameach, Amir. And, Chag Sameach. Yes. And uh, obviously, the government's judicial coup slash overhaul is moving ahead. But a big driving force, Ooh. yes, uh, we'll get it right into that. But I think a big driving force and maybe a surprising driving force over here in the protest movement um, has been the tech sector in Israel. So I thought, who better to come on and discuss Israeli tech uh, than you, Amir? But before we get into the current events and the protest movement itself, I wanted to give the listeners some background about the origins and growth of the Israeli tech sector. I think it's a, a well-known story, but I think it's worth going backwards a bit to explain the current stakes and maybe the future stakes. So first question to you, Amir, set the table for us, if you could. How did Israel turn into the vaunted startup nation? Where did it come from? And what do we actually mean when we say startup nation? Okay, cool. So um, I think a good, a good place to start is with, with the establishment of the state and kind of there are there's no oil there aren't any resources. Um, the only thing that you have is, <clears throat> excuse me, is kind of existential challenges that that the folks here have to, um, you know, have have to innovate uh, their way through and have to improvise. So we're talking like water, food, and security mostly. There's obviously health and life sciences and education and all that kind of stuff. But everything was built um without a you know without a game plan you know the last time the jews did this was 2000 years ago <laughs> right. so uh really it, it uh, the innovation and improvisation and this kind of um really core ethic and characteristic that people associate with israeli tech this kind of you know um hustle and just get something good enough out the door and make it work and 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 learn on the fly was born from these kind of existential challenges. Now, that's all great, but you do need some um, um, academics, science, computer science, uh, universities, and I think that the main um, uh, other pillar, which you know, kind of at the beginning of all this, is stuff like the Technion in the twenties, established Hebrew University in the thirties, mm -hmm. um, the Weizmann Institute. Obviously, you know, all the other universities um, are. Uh, are still considered very, very good here. And there is, there is always a deep um, uh, kind of effort to, to, to keep those, um, you know, important. Then remember that in the first um, 
30, 40 years of the state's existence, it was pretty much in, you know, um, uh, in, in labor mode and, and socialist mode and survival mode. And in kind of the eighties, the, the government started, um, implementing a whole bunch of policies to encourage entrepreneurship, opening up innovation, tax breaks for investors, R and D, all that kind of stuff. Um, then we move into the 90s where we're starting to see the birth here of uh, venture capital, right? Venture capital um, is already kind of well-established in, 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 uh, in the U.S., in Silicon Valley. Um, companies have already been founded, Microsoft, Apple, and all that. Um, so we're starting to see venture capital from the government here and matching Israeli uh, venture capital. Um, and then the other thing that happens in the 90s at the same time is this huge influx of, of immigrants from, uh, from the Soviet Union, right? Russia, Ukraine, all that. And that they, you know, by and large, uh, are very well educated, uh, uh, gr great kind of, uh, academics, engineers. I mean, there's a lot of bad, sad stories of, you know, highly educated physics professors who had to, you know, um, sweep the streets because they couldn't get jobs. But until these people were actually um, uh, put into and absorbed into the Israeli uh, you know, tech industry and, and growing and the, 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 the military, obviously, is something that we'll talk about uh, now. But, but in, the, in the 80s, you have innovation. In the 90s, you start having money and new immigrants. Um, Obviously, the IDF, um, the army is kind of a core pillar to, to start up nation. As we said, you know, there was a necessity to solve challenges, uh, in security that kind of went right from the beginning all the way to, to where we are now in, in engineering units, hardware units, computer units, intelligence units, communications, all that kind of stuff, um, obviously led uh, to a lot of innovation. Right. Um, and, and now uh, we're in 2023 and I'll, um, I'll kind of end here, but j just by saying that we've entered. So, you know, we're, we're at the table, we've seen the evolution and, you know, we're going to start eating this meal, but this meal is already a bit cold because we haven't gone into this uh, off a great, great year uh, in investing in tech boom, like, you know, 2020, 2021, 2022, especially the final half of 2022 is brutal. 2023 for tech, you know, for tech globally, of, for tech, for tech globally. Exactly. Sorry. So you have hundreds of thousands of, of, of people at big tech companies, um, be, being fired. Um, a lot of investment is drying up around the world macroeconomically, you know, the, the tech stocks have been pounded. So we're, we've entered this constitutional slash existential crisis um, for Israel, the Israeli economy and Israeli tech in particular, off the bat, off a very bad year where, where um, things are, you know, with companies are tightening belts, they're struggling to raise money. Um, and so here we are. So they're already facing a tough, uh, actual economic climate globally, and now they're facing a uh, tough, I guess, political climate domestically. And I, I've seen the data points, I've uh, reported on the data points, but basically the tech here in Israel accounts for 
least 40%, if not more, sometimes over 50% of all exports uh, from Israel. It's crossed the uh, 50% mark for the first time, I think, over the past 12 months, right. um, where where digital exports, um, you know, code, software, stuff like that, has overtaken all other exports. Um, and that, you know, that, that's a landmark. Uh, so, so it's about... Um, 51% of exports, it's about uh, maybe 15 to 18% of GDP. Mm-hmm. And um, I think it's somewhere around 25% of tax revenues, even though um, uh, it, it makes up a small, small part of, is- of, of Israel and the Israeli workforce. And that's something we can get into as um, I have a lot of criticisms um, <laughs> about the, uh, the startup industry here. Interesting. Okay. Uh, yeah, I think I've seen a figure. It's about 10%, only 10% of the workforce in Israel. And just to tie up this kind of setting the table for us, when we talk about Israeli tech, uh, are we talking about specific types of tech? Because I know that cybersecurity is big here, um, kind of... Uh, business to business is big here as opposed to maybe in other parts of the world where say it's uh applications and the like how would you how would you describe right. israeli tech right so so um israeli tech because uh if if we zoom out again um you know there really isn't a market here right there's nine million people um and there's there was traditionally very little incentive to pilot new innovations here like you'd basically have an r&d um uh, group here uh ceo cto maybe a couple of coders working on an idea that they would um try and get uh initial funding for and then you know start trying to implement abroad trying to find a proof of concept in the us or europe uh and try and implement there and that's what happened you know with a lot of israeli companies and we're talking about israeli tech companies who are beating the world in things like in, in, you know, in, in fintech, financial innovation, in cybersecurity, obviously, um, in, uh, in mobility, autonomous vehicles, uh, autonomous cars, computer vision. We're talking about the deep, the deepest of the deep tech, right? Things that are solving huge challenges around the world, but, Unfortunately, so so they were created here, innovated here, but were not implemented here. And so um, this, you know, I keep on going back to this, but w- when people say Israeli tech and startup nation, a lot of people abroad think, oh, the whole country is like this. <laughs> Israel is just a high tech nation. That is not the case. And I've been saying this for a very, very long time. It is not the case. There is, this is, this is you know, between, um, I guess, Tel Aviv and North Herzliya couple of places around the country, but um, this is a very low-tech nation. Outside of the tech bubble, you know, a lot of transactions are still done in faxes and checks. Yes. A lot of people in, you know, in, um, in, in government ministries and in, in businesses and small businesses use paper, right? It's extremely inefficient. Uh, tech is not really... Um, uh, spread out across the country. And this is one of the reasons why uh, we tech is in the position it is in now where it's kind of forced to come out and defend Israel as it wants to see it mm-hmm. versus trying to change uh, Israel into 
a place that it can you know continue to grow in. So it's a does that make sense or is that too vague? No, it's basically a rear guard action, kind of defending its uh, Silicon Wadi, right? The sliver between, I guess, Tel Aviv and maybe some Tel Aviv suburbs and up to Haifa and maybe pockets in Jerusalem, but it's not the entire country that's been caught up in tech. Is that is that a fair kind of sum, summation? So, so it's it's fair, um, and it goes it goes deeper than this because. Um, there is a there's a lot of peripheral action going around this country, right? There's you know uh, there's a whole south which has its uh, development and 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 socioeconomic issues very very low, lots of crime, very low connectivity to the rest of the country. The north, pretty much the same thing, very low connectivity to the rest of the country. You have a concentration of uh, high tech in the center of the country and all this innovation and all this money going in, which is uh, not filtering out to the rest of the country. And that has been going on for a very long time. And that means that whatever tech is doing now to try and, you know, protest and set up WhatsApp groups and set up, you know, TikTok live videos and and get out there and, and talk to uh, themselves really, you know, on on their own channels, they're not able to communicate with the rest of the country, the other Israel that's actually voted for this stuff. And that is, you know, not, not in the same planet as Israeli tech. I see. So uh, a very divided country and kind of on one side of the ledger as part of the opposition, I guess, to, I guess the current governing coalition is, uh, is the tech sector. Um, Yeah. So that's a good starting off point to the actual uh, current crisis and the current protest movement. Um, lay out for us, what do you, what's your mind in, in your conversations with uh, tech executives and venture capitalists and the like? What are their actual concerns about the judicial revolution, the judicial coup uh, that the Netanyahu government wants to pass? Um, uh, to my mind, is it just issues like uh, foreign investments halting or stopping altogether uh, due to economic or political uncertainty? Is it fears of uh, the lack of an actual strong and independent judicial system? Is it strictly more kind of social concerns about uh, emigration of talent from Israel if these changes are implemented and then uh, onwards and upwards they start uh, taking away or dismantling the liberal foundations of Israel. What's your mind are the actual concerns that got tech all riled up over the past two months? Hmm. So I think uh, all of the above, but I'll, I'll try and, and, and simplify it into two buckets. One is very much a concern about the country. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it used to be uh, that uh, Israeli tech companies, as soon as they had their you know seed round or a Series A round, first or second round of funding, you know, the the CEO would would relocate. The company would essentially become American, right? Uh, even though the R and D would be here. Now, over the past decade, what we've seen is for the first time uh, a lot of is, Israeli tech companies. Um, uh, that are growing here, right? They've raised series B, series C, series D, a few of them maybe in public. And they're growing, they're growing their workforce here. They're, they're opening offices abroad, but they're very much Israeli companies. And that change happened, so I, happened why? Because of uh, li- lifestyle reasons? Of the ecosystem. 
No, I think, I think, I think that, um, I think that, so, so that's a good question. So, so initially, um, there, there was a lot of money for, for early stage companies. As soon as you wanted to grow, you'd have to pretty much, uh, get foreign investors. And then a lot of the foreign investors, specifically American, would ask you to be closer to your market. And that is in the U.S. Now, um, and especially after COVID, when the whole world kind of lurched online much faster than, than it has, uh, before, um, big Israeli tech companies, even though they have, you know, headquarters in, in, in New York or in the Valley and they have big offices, they have thousands of employees here, right? Tens of thousands across the world and thousands of employees here. And for the first time, Israeli tech, let's say there's about maybe 400,000 people all in all in Israeli tech, about 250,000 of them are non-IT, non-core programming software, you know, product uh, uh, developers. These are marketing, sales, HR, um, operations, everything, right? A lot of people who weren't in tech and who never studied computer science are now in Israeli tech. Right. Some of my best friends. So, so that's kind of... Right. And, 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 and these people as a group, um, want to stay in Israel. They want to live in Israel. They want to raise their families here. They get offers to, to come abroad. They're mobile. They can go, right? A lot of them have foreign passports. They've traveled. Their companies can, can relocate them, but they want to, they want to raise their families here. They serve in the army. They grew up here. Uh, so they're Israelis. They want to conquer the world and they want to do it from here. And there are increasingly a number of big global investors who are going to fund them. Blackstone, the, the SoftBank Vision Fund, Index, Excel, and Sequoia, the biggest names in the world are all here. Mm-hmm. And they're all trying to get into these, into, in, into the next Wix and the next Fiverr and the next Mobileye and the next Checkpoint. They're just trying to get in there all the time. So there is this bucket of, you know, this is the place that we grew up in. This is the place where we learned our trade. This is, this is the Israeli tech industry. It's a world beater. We're part of it. We want to stay here. We're worried about the country. Now, once that's out the way and you start closing the door and you go into the boardroom and you start, uh, you start receiving questions from your board, whether on Zoom or in the room, it's like, okay, what's happening, uh, you know, just, just be real with me. And uh, the answer that a lot of CEOs are having to tell their boards is like, we're extremely worried about the direction that this government is going and specifically on three main issues. One is just um, the whole idea of a kind of Western style democracy it's it's um, it's sliding towards uh, potentially on 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 the um, on the optimistic side something like Hungary and Poland. You can still do business there, right. and and you know th- those are economies. They're not they're not great democracies, but you can still do business there. Um, not not you know uh, they're not like dynamos of innovation, but they're not complete basket case either. But if I'm talking to my board and I'm saying there is a, uh, a severe uh, rift in Israeli society between a, a big majority of people who are, you know, 
never going to walk into these high tech doors. They just don't come from the right places. They never studied. They didn't go to the same army units. They, they're just outside of this. Okay. Um, and then you have a small group of, of, you know, high tech people concentrated around Tel Aviv that are driving this economy. And a lot of them uh, are scared. A lot of them uh, are looking abroad. A lot of them have lived abroad. A lot of them started companies abroad, have worked at companies abroad, and they're potentially leaving. Uh, the other, the other thing is because we were uh, a lot of companies are already in belt tightening mode because of the macroeconomics. Um, they're forced to answer questions of what, how, how they can get revenues and sustain their growth, keep on hiring if things here start to um, st- start to go e- even worse uh, economically and politically. And they, they just don't have good answers. I spoke to um, a CEO of an Israeli company who uh, is trying to find a way to keep the R&D here, but to move the, um, the the rest of the company uh, uh, to the US and maybe even try and, and and register it in the US and everyone's looking everyone's talking to their tax advisors and lawyers mm-hmm. and that's because of the macroeconomics or a combination uh, so so it's definitely it's definitely uh, the 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 combination of things are already tough um, there is a lot of anxiety and uncertainty about what's gonna uh, transpire in Israel. And if, if you take a look at the comments by, you know, former banks of, uh, bank of Israel governors, a lot of economists, literally, even Mike every, Bloomberg, literally everybody, even My- Michael Bloomberg wrote a New York times opinion piece saying this is a disaster for the economy. Now, if you're, if you are a major global uh, investor, financial institution, corporate, and you have, you know, you're an investment committee. Where do you put your money? Uh, you know, whether it's it's people's, um, uh, you know, insurance money, their pension money. Uh, you know, Ontario teachers' pension fund is is huge. All this kind of stuff. You have you asking yourself questions about risk all the time. Right. If this looks like it's going to be more of a risky bit, so you'll think twice or three times, or maybe you'll look for alternatives. Money could dry up here over a period of a couple of years, and if if this if this goes through and there is you know more scenes of riots, there is more um, you know internal chaos. Th- this government uh, you know is fanning the flames of hatred everywhere in the world. Um, you know, there's also just craziness going on in the settlements. This is when you open your newspaper, you know, are you happy to put um, hundreds of billions of dollars of, you know, teachers pensions to work on, uh, on bets on Israeli startups? That's where people's minds are right now. Gotcha. So uh, it's a combination of factors, but uh, bottom line, it's uh, concerns, uncertainty, and also, I imagine just uh, in my conversations at least with CEOs here that uh, it, it'll, it won't happen next week. But at a certain point, all these, uh, like you said, the tech demographic uh, clustered in and around Tel Aviv and uh, the center of the country may just come to the realization that this isn't a great country to raise a family in. That uh, all those considerations that we talked about earlier about uh, them wanting to be here may not be operative if 
the country actually moves in a more illiberal direction. Yeah. And they're saying it. They're 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 being quite quite vocal about it. Yeah. Yeah. We'll be right back after this brief message. Are you trying to keep up with the Israeli government's ongoing judicial overhaul? Check out our new judicial legislation tracker, which tracks the progress of each proposed bill, as well as other judicial resources, including translated videos and statements. To explore more of our work on the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, U.S.-Israel relations, Israeli politics, Israeli-Arab regional integration, and the future of two states, read our timely written explainers unpacking critical issues, explore our 50 Steps Before the Deal policy resource, or join one of our live video briefings featuring top journalists from the region. Links to all these resources can be found in the description of this podcast. If you rely on Israel Policy Forum for credible, informational, and thoughtful analysis, please make a gift today to ensure that Israel Policy Forum's work continues to have an impact. Donate now at israelpolicyforum.org support. Um, by the way, uh, in terms of the psychology of the tech sector here, and I know you and I have spoken about this before, Amir, but... Uh, why has tech never actually gotten involved, at least so publicly, in politics here in Israel before? Uh, you know, we haven't seen mm. the tech sector come out uh, even in 2011 in terms of the high cost of living, the social justice uh, uh, demonstrations, which were massive, or issues of, say, Israeli-Palestinian peace process. We've never actually seen tech revolt uh, in Israel like we have over the past two months, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's true. I think that uh, in general, uh, the the kind of, of, of regulatory environment that you have for Israeli tech here is, you know, traditionally been pretty good. Um, now, for instance, you know, you have all these uh, coalition partners on the hard right who are coming out against, you know, uh, LGBTQ and and um, there's a lot of 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 non-economic uh, laws and stuff that making people very very uncomfortable on the um, uh, on on the human level. Um, that's the one thing. I think the other thing is the Israeli tech industry has always been very international first, global first, outward looking. Right? There's no market here. There isn't a regional market. We were never really able to you know, go openly go and sell our wares in the Arab states and in the Gulf. So I, I think just the outlook has always been uh, very external. And this is, this is potentially my, my, my biggest uh, criticism of the Israeli tech sector, especially the investors who, who, who like to talk a big game, but they're, you know, e even now coming out, um, you know, and saying what they're saying and getting on YouTube and getting on TikTok and, 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 and writing these manifestos and even going onto the street, there's still, it's still not enough. It's not enough because Israeli tech, the, the, um, the human capital is based on a very, very narrow set of the population, right? There's very few Arabs in Israeli tech. There's very few ultra-Orthodox and there's very few um, uh, people out in the peripheral areas in the north and south that are not involved in Israeli tech at all. And Israeli tech has done very little about it. I see. Okay. They have, you know, 
they've they've tried there's been a couple of programs and even a couple of the multinationals have have created boot camps and they you know they've opened accelerators in 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 uh, in all you know in in Khurdi towns and Nazareth but they can do a ton more and this is really the only way i think that tech is going to stay here grow here and and not kind of just float off like a uh, a zeppelin that's been moored here with you know with very uh, few um ropes like tech israeli tech needs to get out into the country it needs to speak to people that have never been in a tech company that don't know what a product manager is they don't know what a quarterly dashboard is um you know there there is so much non startup nation in this country that uh, unless unless they are engaged in the future uh, innovation is the future and israeli tech is you know world beating mm-hmm. but um but it, unless the rest of the country yeah, go ahead no, no, i was going to say but it needs to uh i guess become more f- more connected or spread out more into the country yes. as opposed to you know looking looking uh, north south and east as opposed to west right and 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 no one's talking about this and specifically not the government who's basically just blaming um you know uh the tech industry protests here you know being funded by the CIA um which you know could be true but it's probably not yeah uh definitely not um also you know the tech sector here doesn't need to be uh to be funded by the state department. Uh, uh, and by the way, in fairness, Amir, uh, I also don't know what a quarterly dashboard is or a product manager. So, uh, what? No. <laughs> I'm exaggerating, but, but really, really only slightly. Uh, but you see my point. I it's, do. it's like there, there is, there's a small group of people here who have an outsize, um, impact on this country. They are being, threatened their way of life is being threatened their future the way they see their themselves you know living in the future is being threatened so they can leave and a lot of the investors w- will leave and then you'll have the rest of the country here that you know is is not even in that game right um i mean that's a good transition to uh the actual protest movement and the brass tacks of what uh, the tech firms and the tech workers have done so far as part of this uh, ongoing and growing protest movement against the Netanyahu government. Um, over a month ago, I think around mid-January, you had uh, I was there on Rothschild and other places. You had the first uh, warning strike on a Tuesday mm-hmm. midday uh, led by uh, tech workers and tech firms. Uh, now you have... Uh, I think almost every Tuesday you have uh, tech workers out uh, in Tel Aviv and other uh, hubs protesting. Uh, Last Wednesday in Tel Aviv, the National Day of Disturbance, you had a major tech presence uh, on Kaplan and near the Island Highway in Tel Aviv. Uh, They came down from their towers and joined the the marches. Uh, I think you've also seen massive signs uh, on many headquarters, uh, tech headquarters here. Yeah. Uh, you know, all kidding aside about the State Department and the CIA, uh, we also know that the tech, prominent tech entrepreneurs and firms have been funding a big part of the demonstrations. Um, and then maybe finally, in terms of the brass tacks, uh, I guess the public warnings, right, of many prominent uh, tech 
entrepreneurs and CEOs about the damage the judicial overhaul could have yeah. on the Israeli economy and tech sector. Is that kind of a fair sum up? What, what else have they done uh, in terms of this ongoing protest? That you're aware of? No, I think I, th- I think that's it. Um, you know, there, there's been a couple of of meetings between you know a few groups of top tech executives with the government, and you know, uh, especially with um, with the Minister of Justice, and those have gone nowhere. Um, I think what what I'm seeing is they're doing a whole bunch of little things, right? Uh, basically going out every Tuesday and putting signs up and putting lots of posts up and doing a lot of commenting and uh, walking around. Um, One or two uh, CEOs like the CEO of Wiz, the cybersecurity company, uh, kind of a a darling of Israeli tech, you know, has reached um, $10 billion valuation with its latest round. And the CEO, Asaf Rappaport, basically said this money is not coming into Israel. Asaf Rappaport, you just have to understand, this guy is a, a he's a legend, right? He's young. He's very young. He came out of uh, out of the army, started a a, a cybersecurity company, sold that to Microsoft for hundreds of millions of dollars. Went to go work for Microsoft, became the head of Microsoft's R and D here, all under the age of you know thirty thirty five. Um, and then left Microsoft R&D to start Wiz, which all the world's top investors kind of scrambled to get into, raised, you know, unicorn round, now $10 billion valuation. So he's very, very serious. And he's kind of like the top of the top. And he's saying, um, this, uh, this is not good. This doesn't represent um, me or our company's values and uh, none of this money is going to go into Israel, and they'll figure it away. And that that is uh, a signal to the markets, um, I think, that um, you know things things are are moving in a bad direction, and and follow the money. I don't know how much money is actually being moved abroad. There are there the reports that you know potentially up to four billion dollars uh, of. Uh, Israeli tech company money uh, has been moved to banks abroad. I do know that um, some Israeli VCs uh, have also kind of had very, very, very difficult conversations with um, LPs, right? These are the, uh, the, the limited partners, the big investors mm-hmm. uh, into these funds um, and kind of just trying to work out what's best for for both sides right i'm not i'm not saying that the israeli vcs are saying don't bring the money in but i think that they have a um uh, a kind of a fiduciary duty also to to the investors to say right now you might want to hedge and and keep uh, a little bit of this allocation that you're going to put into israel you know think about putting it elsewhere i don't have that you know uh confirmed but i've heard these kinds of stories and other and other kinds of stories yeah uh i've heard it and it's been reported you've also had i guess prominent uh, tech ceos say that uh if the legislation passes then they're just gonna get up and leave uh, and there was a big kind of backlash about how unzionist this was uh from uh from uh, these israeli uh, entrepreneurs how how widespread do you think that phenomenon is that 
people uh, right, I guess yeah. right now, at least threatening to leave. I think, I think um, a lot of people are talking about it. They're talking about it at home. They're talking about it to their friends, their coworkers. I'm not sure we're going to see an exodus. I'm not sure an exodus is possible. I mean, you know, there might be a couple of thousands who, if, you know, if, if these bills actually make it into law, we could see some prominent names and, and groups of, um, of tech workers who can go to Palo Alto, New York, Boston area, London, or whatever it is. They might make a big show of, you know, of going, but I know it's not an, it's, it's not an easy decision, but it's also not the hardest decision. The harder decision is to stay here and help build out tech to the rest of Israel so that, um, Look, I'll, I'll just pause here for a second because for me, the, 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 the bigger picture is in 5, 10, 15 years time, we might look back on this moment, Neri, and miss it, right? Because this was the point where we had the chance of addressing the major, major demographic undercurrent that's that's really influencing all of this. And this is the the uh on the one hand the the high birth rate of you know the religious ultra religious the settlers and the arabs and their concurrent low connectivity to israel and to the israeli economy this in 5 10 15 years time means that uh a smaller portion of the israeli economy will carry even a bigger burden on financing the rest of the economy, and and that's why I want a lot of Israeli uh, Israeli techies want to leave. They're they're fed up with this. Why should we be paying for their lifestyle? Exactly. Okay. But um, I think Israeli tech, instead of just doing all these things it is doing now, needs to literally find a new mission, and that is to le kariv, just to kind of bring in a lot more underrepresented populations into Israeli tech and then bring out a lot of their tech into places that are just not connected somehow. And that has to be, that has to happen. Otherwise the demographics uh, and the politics of, of this country are just going into an unsustainable uh, equation. It's just, it's won't add up. I see. So if I'm understanding you correctly, you basically this, uh, this current crisis, this current moment should be used as an opportunity to actually address deeper currents and longer standing structural issues um, in Israeli politics and economics uh, contingent, I suppose, on us getting through the current crisis and not having uh, yeah. the entire but thing. And that to me is or, the real or, or not. Are you saying that, that tech writ large in Israel should actually, I suppose, stay and fight or... I guess my question is fight for what, uh, as opposed to, I guess, following through on the yeah. threats we've heard now over the past two months. And if this legislation does pass, that they're going to leave and let the uh, Haredis and the settlers uh, fund themselves. And good luck with yeah. that. Uh, it's very, very, very difficult to get over yourself and say, um, I actually want 
to make this country work. Like I'm fed up of funding this. I'm fed up with this extremism. I'm fed up with this religion. Uh, I am fed up with this madness, right? People are asking me to move to Boston, to Palo Alto for incredible jobs, right? What a great life out there. And I'm not blaming anyone who wants to go. And I completely get it. But the, this current government right-wing, ultra-religious, the next current, the next government is going to be even more religious. And the next government after that, which could, might not even need the Likud, right? It's just going to be, the, their, their electoral power is going to be so huge. They're never going to bring tech to the rest of the country. They're never going to bring non-techies into tech. It's just not in their interest. The only people who have the ability and the, the, the motive to to do that um, is Israeli tech, and they're not really doing it. They're just you know um, they're just making some noise and talking to themselves and ticking a couple of boxes. Yeah, I mean, again, it remains to be seen how far uh, they're willing to take this current protest. But I, I see your point, and I think it's a fair one that uh, tech, as of two months ago, basically just woke up. Yeah. Right. Um, yep. uh, Amir. Uh, just to tie up the issue of, of the current moment, what other additional impacts, if any, have you seen now over the past two months in terms of the judicial revolution slash overhaul and its impact on the tech sector here? Are there other things that you can point to that the, the current kind of crisis and turmoil in Israel is already having an impact on the Israeli tech sector? So it's, it's currently difficult to distinguish between um, what's having more an effect uh, than not? Because as, as I said, we were already in a down market very much. You know, a lot of companies had raised a lot of money in 2020, 2021, maybe the beginning of 2022, and thought they were going to raise in 2023 at, you know, great valuations. That ain't happening. So, a lot of the restructuring, reorganization, cutting employees, um, has already, you know, is, is in full swing and continuing. There's a lot more pressure on Israeli tech from, you know, uh, from the boards and from the executives. Everyone has moved from growth to revenue. And now you've added this kind of layer of anxiety. And, you know, apart from some tech executives saying they're moving money or not bringing money in, and apart from the you know anxious conversations and things that maybe will be put on hold or have been put on hold and we'll only find out about maybe in a couple of months or a year or two when more you know financing reports come in i don't think there has been a tangible effect yet and that's why i think that while tech has woken up it's um it's still kind of looking for it's kind of killer app, right? What is gonna what is gonna shake the coalition into taking this seriously? What can tech do besides pulling out a couple of hundred you know billion dollars and 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 relocating a few thousand you know Tel Aviv Ashkenazi engineers? The government doesn't care about that. Okay, that's an interesting point. Um, so I'll pose the question to you, Amir. What more can the tech sector actually do to uh, to show this government that it's uh, serious and that there will be real, both economic and 
social consequences to uh, pushing this agenda forward? What do you think can, what, what do you think more can be done? Yeah. So, so I, I don't think the tech itself can do more by itself. I think it definitely, you know, can, can be part of the, of the protest. Um, it can, you know, help fund the protest. It can help just, you know, be, be at the front of that, but it's not, it's not the whole story. Um, and I don't think, I think they've kind of almost reached the, the, the limit of, of, of what they're capable of. Everything else that happens uh, behind closed doors might take time to, to uh, materialize. But I think that if they want to show the rest, if they want to lead the Israeli protest movement, and I'm sorry I'm repeating this, they need to get out of the Tel Aviv bubble. They need to take their laptops and uh, they need to get out into the Haredi towns, the Arab towns, the um, just kind of the, the periphery towns. And they need to spend a couple of days a week there. They need to talk to people. They need to, they need to network, right? <laughs> they need to network in these places and show the rest of the country that tech can be their future also. Otherwise, it's all just about, okay, so these Tel Avivis, you know, this, this is what they're doing. That, I think, um, is harder to do. And uh, I'm not a, um, you know, I, 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 I'm not sure that the, the techies kind of have that, um, have that kind of longer term mission. They're all just, everyone's thinking in quarters, Neri. Yeah. And also now we're thinking in weeks in terms of uh, the potential deadline for these laws to be passed in the Knesset or not. So uh, I think what you're talking about is kind of a longer, a longer term vision uh, when we're now facing a real immediate short term crisis uh, right in the face. Um, Amir, uh, final question to you, and I ask this to a lot of the Israeli guests that come on, but it's I think it's important for our listeners, especially overseas, to get a sense of what it's like actually on the ground here, uh, whether in Tel Aviv or not. Uh, your own personal views and mm. your own personal views and the views, I guess, of your family and friends and acquaintances to everything that's happening here right now, uh, really uh, historic, unprecedented like you said, existential crisis uh, in Israel. So uh, how how are you and your uh, quote-unquote ecosystem taking it all in? Well, we're, it, it, we're bummed. I mean, completely bummed, right? And in shock that this is actually happening. Uh, on That's it, happening this quick and is this big. I think, um, so I'm out in, in Ranana, uh, which is about you know, maybe uh, 25 kilometers northeast of Tel Aviv. I spend, you know, a day or two a week in Tel Aviv in the tech industry. I spend the rest of the time here in Ranana. And here in Ranana, in the Sharon area, there is a lot of, there's a big tech industry here. And it's not as homogenous as the Tel Aviv industry. There's a lot of, you know, there's age differences. There's um, religious, there's a lot more uh, people in tech here in Ranana and the area that are, you know, are more religious, more right wing. And I'll give you an example. There's a, a, a Ranana Tech WhatsApp group, right? And there's really very, very, very senior people in there, you know, hundreds of people uh, from all sorts of, you know, startups and international um, uh, companies here. And th these are people who travel the world, who live here, 
travel a lot, do business all overseas. Um, a few weeks ago, uh, one of the people on the group kind of just posted um, a little a little pamphlet that, you know, a little PDF that said, so we're going to uh, protest on Saturday night here in Ranana. And that person was shut down so quickly, right? Oh. And, and you, you know, because there are religious people in the right wing, there's left wing, there's, there's all sorts. Um, and it was, it was a little bit unpleasant, but I think everyone just wants to keep that WhatsApp group as business-like as possible. But, you know, I, I, um, in, in Ranana, um, I went to the funeral, um, I think it was like, it was last week, the funeral of, a uh, an Israeli American, um, uh, who was killed right in a terror attack uh, near uh near the dead sea correct now he he was he he was buried here in in ranana and the funeral was here in ranana because he was alone in the country you know didn't have family here his family came from i think from connecticut uh on a flight and he was buried here because i think he had a network here and uh my wife and i went to the funeral my, my wife has been going to protest every saturday night uh she takes you know our daughter with uh, she's all in. She's all in. Good. And I've kind of, I've kind of been doing my protests more in my writing. Um, and uh, but, but, but I went to this funeral uh, just out of respect, you know, for for for, for this kid. And um, uh, there were thousands of people there. But I don't know, maybe even over ten, fifteen thousand people there. Um, uh-huh. Mostly religious. A lot of uh, a lot of uh, people you know, all, all ty- types of people, but definitely my wife said, these are not the people that you see at the rallies in Tel Aviv. These are not the people that you see in there. And there is a whole other country here. They were also waving Israeli flags. They were also crying. They were also worried about what's going on in this country. Um, but, but they were there and they don't, they don't go to the protests. And so like, I see this and I feel like really scared um, mm-hmm. because th- 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 this would be fine if we were, you know, in Belgium or the Nordics and we could just have our, you know, issues here. And um, I hate to say it, but, you know, we, we could have like even uh, a civil war here, even though that's extremely far-fetched, but it kind of feels like the divisions are really, really stark and people can't talk to each other. And, you know, I, I, I kind of, look at Jewish history and Amos Oz basically put this great. He said, um, the, the Jews have a tendency to press the self-destruct button. So, uh, you know, uh, specifically when there is kind of great external moral danger, you know, the first house internal fighting. And then, you know, uh, I don't know who it was, maybe the Assyrians conquered Israel and then we're all kind of, uh, sent off into exile. The second house, Again, a civil war, self-destruct button. The Romans came in. Two thousand years later, and we're at about the uh, seventy to eighty-year mark yes. of the third Jewish sovereign state. And this is kind of where we get to in our kind of life cycle. <laughs> and so it almost feels like we're at this moment, but um, that's just one way of looking at. But I, I, I think about this, you know, and I look at my children. I don't know if. Uh, honestly, you know, I, it's tough here. It's always tough here. It's really tough here, even without this. This is just, um, wow, this is bad. Yeah, an added uh, historic 
again, those words, historic, unprecedented existential crisis facing the country, uh, not business as usual as uh, uh, the listeners to the podcast know very well. Uh, and by the way, Amir, you, you immigrated to Israel from South Africa, correct? So I, w- I was born in Israel and I left oh. when I was six to South Africa. Um, we left South Africa uh, because that was becoming, even though it, you know, it, it started a very, very short kind of um, digression here. But so I was born in Israel, grew up in South Africa uh, under apartheid as apartheid uh, changed and, you know, South Africa became a free democracy and then um, started descending into a failed state. Uh, so I've been through this. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, yeah. So I, I came back here in, in 2000 when I was 24. Okay. That's just a kind of important context. Uh, and by the way, just follow up question, Amir, have you noticed whether in your Ranana WhatsApp group or in other parts of your own kind of professional or personal life that those more, let's say religious, modern Orthodox, more right wing acquaintances have changed their opinions? as this protest has gone along in recent weeks, or has everybody just stuck to their guns metaphorically uh, and uh, kind of stayed in their silos and haven't crossed over, say, into, uh, if not outright protesting on the streets, then at least their own opinions about what's happening here? Yeah. Have you noticed any yeah, movement at all? Unfortunately, not at all. I, I, feel like, I feel like people are sticking to their guns or circling the wagons. It's, it's very upsetting. It's very, very upsetting um, because there is a very clear divide here that's first and foremost on religious and political ethnic um, lines. And that sucks. That's awful. That's mm-hmm. something that we need to really address, in a, you know, not in the immediate term, but, you know, uh, structurally. But no, I, I, I see lines hardening, unfortunately, even within the WhatsApp groups. Okay. Uh, just, uh, was curious about that. Uh, it's a good question. Yeah. Uh, I mean the tribal, the tribal politics of Israel. Uh, and I, I suppose that's what yeah. Netanyahu and his, uh, government are banking on that no matter what happens, whether on the streets or economically, or whether the protest is coming from the tech sector or now from within the IDF and the reservists, uh, that ultimately, ultimately at base, the base will stay with them and they'll be able to to persevere i suppose that's uh what they're what they're hoping for uh but it remains to be seen amir thank you so much for taking the time to uh to analyze and explain to us uh the israeli tech sector and especially in this current moment uh really really important so thank you for your time thanks neri thanks for having me on our pleasure okay thanks again to amir Mizrach for his generous time and insights Also, special thanks to our producer, Jacob Gilman, and to all of you who support Israel Policy Forum's work, including this podcast. You know who you are. Just remember to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And as always, thank you for listening.